Um, welcome. Hopefully you are comfortable as you are uh, here this morning. Uh, my name's Libby, for those of you that don't know. Um, there, uh, let me ask you the question I asked last week, which is, uh, what robs you of peace? The peace that we are looking at and that we have been looking at over the last few weeks is the peace that we started talking about at Christmas. This peace that was prophesied, that was foretold by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. Peace that the angels talked about to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. And this peace that Paul talks to us about that surpasses understanding, that blows our minds and we looked last week about uh, the fact that peace is often robbed from us by worry. We recognize uh, that that is an internal dialogue. But fortunately, Jesus is very clear on the subject, and he tells us not to worry. Uh, and the antidote for worry is to seek first his kingdom. And we looked at a little bit of that. So if you want to uh, look more at that, then feel free to listen to that talk on SoundCloud or Spotify. And as we press into this subject of peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, um, we don't have to look far, do we? Um, whether it's in our own lives, in the lives of our friends and families, if on any media outlets, that there is a lack of peace in the world that we live in. There is conflict, there is war, there is opposition, there is turmoil, there is unrest, there is upheaval. And we, as followers of Jesus, if you have said yes to following him, we have the opportunity to experience his peace and to be um, a person of peace in a world that has little peace. Just a really quick question. For those of you that were here last week, or for those of you that um, are here today but you watch it, has anyone watched Traitors? I think there's more people in the room this week that have watched it than last week. Um, just in case my little advert last week didn't tempt you. Um, there is a distinct lack of peace in Traitor's Castle. Who to trust, who not to trust. Who is barefaced lying? You know, there's some very good actors in that castle. Um, I'm tempted to go back and watch the first series, which I didn't watch. But um, anyway, that, that was just an aside. Totally, like doesn't really link to anything I'm going to say next, but um, I mentioned it last week. So um, over the last um, month, we have been looking at this thing called peace. And the first week in January, Pip looked at recognizing the storm we were in. And then last week, um, you could reframe what I said to, to, to in, you could, <laughs> that was really, really, Thought through and well, well said, doesn't it? You could reframe what I said by saying we were looking at recognizing our internal dialogue when it comes to worry, particularly about money and provision. And this week, I want to look at recognizing our actions and how they might prevent us from having peace. We long to be a people who are transformed by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to live like Jesus. So I'm going to begin with a question. Do we live lives of reflection? Have you ever wondered, why did I react like that in that situation? Um, or act in a way that you do. Make the choices that you make. As we sit here now, let's just use this opportunity to just have a think. Lord Jesus, would you bring your peace? As you think about 
uh, the way that you react and you act in situations? Are there moments, particularly recently, where you might have acted more, more like a gladiator than Jesus? Have you acted in a way that you know perhaps isn't uh, God's best for you? Have you made decisions about what you read, what you watch, what you listen to that might have prevented you from seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Have we looked after ourselves, our bodies and our minds? When it comes to relationships, are we honoring to those that we're committed to? When it comes to our actions and how we live, are we living in a way that means that we lack peace? That is causing us unease, that is keeping us awake at night. I wonder what Jesus wants to say to each of us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, then it would be great if you could turn to them. Um, to turn to chapter um, 8 of John, which is in the second half of the Bible. Um, and I'm going to read this morning um, about an encounter that Jesus had with a lady. You may have heard it before, but just to give you a bit of context, Jesus has got the backs up of the religious leaders. So the vicars, the pastors, the bishops of the day, um, they were annoyed by Jesus. He was growing in popularity. He had a big following. He was saying stuff that they didn't really understand and that they didn't really like. Um, and uh, so we start this um, reading in John chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 1. And Jesus has just managed to sidestep their first attempt at arresting him. Um, and he has gone up to the Mount of Olives, a place where he could be with his father in silence and in solitude, where he could pray. And then dawn breaks. So chapter 8, verse 1 of, of John. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Let's just pause and imagine that moment. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were saying this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? No one has, sorry, has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So firstly, a woman caught in adultery. What does that really mean? 
This woman was clearly having sex with someone that wasn't her husband. Presumably caught in the act means that she was literally caught in the act. I think if it had been hearsay and rumor, the religious leaders probably wouldn't have been quite so bold as to drag her into the temple courts in front of hundreds of people. So she probably would have been naked. Needless to say, I'm sure she would have been utterly humiliated. We know very little else besides what John has said to us. The religious leaders hated Jesus so much that they were okay with totally humiliating this lady for the sake of their schemes. They wanted to trap him, to catch him out. Their plan was to use both the Jewish and the Roman law to catch him, despite the fact that they had totally disregarded Jewish law. Because if this woman had been caught in the act of adultery, there would have been a man with her. And Jewish law says both of them should have been stoned. But they only pulled her into the temple courts to humiliate her. So they were disregarding the law, yet they were going to use the law to trap Jesus. If Jesus had said, yes, she should be stoned. Sorry, sorry. If Jesus had said, no, she shouldn't be stoned, he would be violating Jewish law, Moses' law, which specified that stoning was the punishment for adultery. But if he had said yes to stoning her, he'd have been breaking Roman law because the Roman law... Um, stated that the Jews weren't allowed to carry out executions. So they were trying to corner Jesus, or so they thought. Jesus should never, ever be underestimated. And if you follow Jesus and you've not yet been surprised by him, then be prepared. Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand, something that rabbis regularly did in Jesus' day. It was before the days of blackboards and whiteboards and overhead projectors, for those of you that are old enough to remember those, um, and PowerPoints. He would use the sand that they were standing on to write in the ground to teach. And he clearly wrote, Jesus clearly wrote more than just one word because um, he was writing while they kept on questioning him. And then verse 8 tells us that he stooped down to write, continue writing. So what was he writing? I'm sure he wasn't playing hangman. Maybe he was writing a list of the sins of all of those onlookers or the accusers. Maybe he was writing out a list of the Ten Commandments. We don't know what he was writing, but we do know that he looked up and he looked at them and he said, those who have no sin cast the first stone. And then they all left. The oldest to the youngest. Only a sinless person could throw a stone at her. Maybe, maybe John pointed out that the oldest left first because the older men were wise enough to realize that they weren't perfect. But the younger men soon cottoned on and realized that they weren't perfect either. Jesus straightened up. He stood up and he looked this lady in the face. He looked at her eye to eye, not holding her at arm's length, not addressing her as he spoke, as he wrote on the ground. He spoke to her, specifically to her. He addressed her with two questions. The accusers we know have left, but there's probably still quite a lot of onlookers. The crowd that had already gathered, 
to hear Jesus before the, uh, the officials brought this woman in. Jesus wanted to ha- give her dignity and give her the dignity of a conversation. He wanted to see her face and not um, for her to hide. And he wanted to hear what she had to say. And this is when this lady spoke for the first time. Possibly because in this culture, uh, women often were quiet in public places, particularly in the temple. I imagine also because she was incredibly embarrassed. She was totally humiliated. But because Jesus looked at her and addressed her and asked her a question, she, she could have kept her face buried in shame. She could have legged it as soon as the accusers had gone. She could have hidden both physically and emotionally from Jesus, preventing her from experiencing his peace. But she didn't. She pushed through shame. She pushed through her utter humiliation to engage with Jesus. And he asked her a question. He didn't proclaim a statement or a judgment. He asked her a question, welcoming a conversation. And he asked her a question because he wanted a response from her. Now, I've never been caught in a situation like this, but there has been times when I've been accused of things that I might or might not have done, and my immediate response is either to hide in shame, to leg it, or to argue my case. And she responded to Jesus in answering her question, the question that he asked. He asked her a question and was looking for a response so that he could bring his peace in a moment of distress. And he highlights, it highlights the fact that Jesus is the God of all compassion. And he leans to forgiveness over judgment. I wonder what our response is. If we think or we reflect on the way that we act, the way that we we react in situations, You know, if we react or act in ways that aren't like Jesus, would our our response be to hide in shame, to turn our face away from him, to run away, or to distract ourselves so we don't have to face him? Jesus didn't condemn this lady, but nor did he condone or ignore how she was living. Jesus doesn't ignore her past, but he offers her peace and freedom from it. He told her to leave her life of sin, a life where Satan's destiny was all over her. Jesus was inviting her to step into his kingdom, a kingdom of life, a life in all its fullness, to experience his peace and his purpose, his peace and purpose above all else, a life of worship. Tom Thompson, who is the senior pastor of Croydon Vineyard and um, author of uh, a New Testament journey Bible reading plan, um, he explains uh, in his Bible reading plan that um, in our modern world, we, um, when we think of sin, if we think about sin at all, we, use it, we think of it being pinpointed on an action by a specific person that is negative. This idea that sin is an individualistic, fault-focused idea. And he is arguing that when Jesus talks about sin, he's talking about a sin like a kingdom. Sin is the manifestation of the enemy's power. 
and it holds people in exile from God and corrupts us from the inside out. So Tom says this, a quote, So for Jesus, therefore, forgiveness is to plunder a person out of Satan's foul influence. To forgive a person is to rebirth them as a member of God's great community. Jesus offers this woman forgiveness. Jesus isn't just pretending that the adultery hadn't happened. But he is releasing her from her sin-defined destiny and commanding her to walk into her new life, into her new community, walking with Jesus in his kingdom. This woman is delivered from a destiny of walking towards death and is reborn into a life defined by the life of Jesus, the Messiah. Tom also says this, Jesus came to liberate people from the Lord of the earth, Satan, by making him their Lord instead. That is what forgiveness means. And that's what Jesus is offering to this lady that is standing before him in the temple courts. And he is offering to us here today so we can find peace. So what can we learn from this account, this, uh, this occasion uh, in Jesus' life? As I said at the beginning, I wanted to look at how we can recognize how we show up and how we act. None of us are perfect. It might be in the last few moments, you can think of things that you've done or said or ways that you've reacted and acted in the last week that you think, hmm, maybe that wasn't quite as Jesus would have done. We can experience his peace Whatever situation or circumstance, circumstance we've found ourselves in or that we have been part of. And I suppose the first challenge is not to hide and run away, but it is to face him. Just like the lady dragged before him, Jesus didn't, didn't condemn her and he doesn't condemn us. Although, as the only sinless person that has ever walked the earth, he would be totally at liberty to. But he also doesn't condone or ignore how we live. He wants us to experience his peace and to live in a way that is radically different because we've been transformed by him and his power. And to do that, we need to look at him. We need to look to him and dwell in his presence. So just like this lady, firstly, he addresses us face to face. Secondly, he asks us questions and invites a response. Thirdly, he brings peace with no condemnation. And fourthly, he gives clear instructions about what our next steps are. So really quickly, Jesus speaks to us face to face. He straightens up. I said a moment ago, he could have carried on writing on the ground and just spoken to her. Many times I'll be doing a job and I'm still carrying on a conversation over here. No guarantee that the person over here has listened or heard to anything I've said. Because I know that particularly in our family, if I want them to really hear what I'm saying, I need to actually look at them and engage with them. It probably makes a difference that I'm standing here looking at you rather than talking this way. Because uh, that's probably not as interesting for you <laughs> and definitely not for me. It's nice to see your smiling faces. Um, Jesus looks at, addresses us face to face. He wants to see us. He wants to look into our eyes. 
He wants to have a conversation with us, just like he did with this lady. He's not dismissive. He places importance on straightening up and addressing the lady. You know, the accusers had gone off with egg on their faces. And it's possible, like I said, that the crowds are still around. And Jesus wanted to know, her to know that he was communicating to her directly. That communication offers intimacy and care. It shows forgiveness and compassion. It shows grace. That intimacy, that care, that forgiveness, that grace wouldn't have been as, as well communicated if he hadn't been looking at her and if she had not been looking at him. You know, in, in the book of Exodus, which is right at the beginning of the Bible, we hear about the relationship between Moses and God and how they talked as friends. But even Moses couldn't look at the face of God because it says if he did, he'd die. And yet because of Jesus, we can look at the face of God. We can sit with him in his presence and we can see his face just as he can see ours. It's a communication of longing and intimacy, of relationship. Will we look at Jesus, not hide, not distract ourselves, push through any shame or humiliation? You know, we all make mistakes. We all miss the mark. We all react in ways that we wish we hadn't. And in those moments, Jesus straightens up. He looks at us and he invites a conversation. If only we would look at him. So Jesus addresses us face to face. Secondly, he asks questions and invites a response. He sees us. He sees you. And he wants to speak with you. Will we listen to his voice? Listen to him speaking? Wait for his question and then respond. You know, this lady's response was only three words. I would struggle to respond in three words, probably. But as I was preparing this, um, I, I was reminded again of just how much I value being in silence with him, sitting in his presence, pressing into that. You know, my words may be too much and too many. For some of you this morning are probably thinking, yes, already. But I also know the value of pressing into silence and listening to Jesus. So as we reflect on our lives, as we, as we have a desire for more of his peace, will we listen to his questions and wait for his invitation to respond? Thirdly, Jesus offers peace with no condemnation. This encounter recorded by John Im implies that Jesus looks, he listens, he asks, and he gives peace without the need to yell, to have a go, to argue his case. He ensures that she understands her mistake, but he doesn't hammer it home because she is humiliated enough. Jesus shows grace and compassion. And in that grace and compassion, he gives his peace. If we're prepared to look to him, to look in his face, to listen and respond, he offers us peace without condemnation. And fourthly, Jesus gives us clear steps as to what's next. 
Yes, he offers his peace, but he doesn't ignore our past. He offers us freedom from it. And he says to her, now go and leave your life of sin. What does that mean? For us to experience Jesus' peace, we need to step away from sin, this kingdom of sin where the enemy longs to seduce us, to distract us. We need to step away from that into Jesus' kingdom, a kingdom of life and wholeness and fullness. Into his kingdom and away from the kingdom of darkness. Tom Thompson uh, from in his book says, a beckoning, this is a beckoning to rehabilitation and belonging, to movement and to membership. To walk away from sin is a huge positive. It's an invitation into the adventure that God has for us. Jesus is always ready to extend his grace and forgiveness, to give his peace to us, no matter what we are living in, what we are living through, what we are doing, what we are not doing. If only we would look to him and receive it by listening and responding to his instruction. So we find peace in Jesus, in intimacy with him. When you read this story, be reminded afresh that he straightens up and he looks at her. He straightens up and he looks at us. He looks into our eyes. We have a choice to look to him. We find peace in Jesus in conversation with him. And in that place, we find transformation to become, to love, and to live like him. So this few weeks, we're recognizing the storm that we're in. And if you remember and you were here when Pip spoke, she talked about recognizing the storm you're in, looking to him, and pressing into his presence. Last week, we looked at recognizing our internal dialogue, particularly concerning worry and money. And I talked about the need to look to him. To look to him and we can press into his presence. And this morning, recognizing how we show up and how we react and act in situations. If we want to be people that are more like Jesus, we need to look to him and we need to press into his presence. Because it's in that place that we experience intimacy with him. And that's where peace comes. Why don't you stand and we'll pray.